by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. All right, all right. You know, for a Christian, hope is not just wishful thinking. You know, it's, we, we use the word differently as a Christian. It's not like a, I hope that's not a long-winded preacher. You know, for, see, there's no basis for that hope. <laughs> no, Christian hope is, is more like a confident expectation. You can have confidence in your hope in Christ. Why? Because it's a done deal. Because it's one of God's promises. You can, you can uh, trust that it'll come to pass. In fact, Hebrews 10, 23 says, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. See, we're, we're the people and we're the ones that get a little wavery sometimes. But he said, don't do that. For God can be trusted to keep his promises. The Bible says God's not a man that he should lie. He's going to tell you the truth, and that's just the way it's going to be. Ain't that right, Brother Leon? That's right. <laughs> so today's message, if you're following along on your bulletins, you got some fill-in-the-blanks, if, if that'll help keep you awake during the sermon or whatever. <laughs> the first question is, what's today's message title? And today's message title is, Hope Rising. Hope Rising. And I thought that was a beautiful title for today's message is so appropriate because why Jesus is our ultimate hope and as we celebrate resurrection Sunday we see him rising hope rising let's turn in our Bibles to Psalms chapter 39 if you don't have a Bible with you that's fine we have it up on the screen I know a lot of people Pretend to look at their phones like they got a Bible app, but they're on Facebook or something. <laughs> That's between you and God. I don't. <laughs> Woo! Lord, help me, Jesus. Psalms 39, verse 4. I'm going to read it out of the New Living Translation. The psalmist says, Lord, Remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my, my days are numbered and that we don't even know the number. Remind me how fleeting my life is. You have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. Wow, in the scope of eternity that keeps going forever, the width of your hand ain't very long, is it? My entire lifetime is just a moment to you. At best, each of us is but a breath. We're merely moving shadows, and all our busy rushing ends in nothing. We heap up wealth, not knowing who will spend it. Well, Pastor, I thought you said you were going to bring some hope today. What do we do? 
I ain't been here five minutes. You already told me my days are numbered. I'm just a moment. I'm like a moving shadow of breath. And all my busyness, all this work I've been doing is going to end in nothing and somebody's going to spend all my money. <laughs> well, I got to tell you the truth. That's life without Jesus. But, thank goodness for verse 7. Woo! Pull me out of this, Lord. It says, and so, Lord, where do I put my hope? My only hope is in you. And you know what? That's fine. You need to put all your eggs in that basket. Excuse the Easter Sunday pun. <laughs> you need to put all your eggs in his basket. Your, all your hope needs to be in Christ. That's the only place it needs to be. It don't need to be in your job and all these things. Your retirement and all the, this money you're saving up that somebody else is going to spend. Mm, mm, mm. If you want to rise, you got to know where to put your hope. When I was a teenager, I remember trying to rise one day, and I was putting my hope in a 35-horsepower Evinrude motor. <laughs> my grandpa had got a new fangled uh, fiberglass bass boat, and he had a 35-horse on it. And back in those days, in the 80s or something, that seemed like a big motor. And I'm thinking, we can ski behind this booger. And so I got my little brother, and we talked my grandfather into letting us use his boat again, and he let us, and we borrowed some skis, and we went down to the lake. And i tell you what, I was a little bit thinner back then, but I was still about this size. My little brother, he was younger, but he was sprouting about an inch with every meal at those days. And so we, we, what I'm trying to say is I don't know if a 35 horsepower was capable of pulling us up on skis, but we were sure going to try in fact, I remember being in the water and had no skis, and I was holding on to that rope, and I'd tell him, hit it, Heath, and he'd lay that thing down, and he'd start off, and I'd try to get up, but it wouldn't get me up, and then I'd just go face for And I was too dumb to let go in about 30 feet. I did that about three times. I lost my swim trunks twice. But I dug around and I found them in a most inconvenient place and pulled them back out again. <laughs> Heath pulled back around and the last time he says, won't you let go of the rope, dummy? I didn't know. In fact, was I didn't know much more about skiing than Heath did. And everything I had learned, I'd heard from my dad and all his stories he used to spend about how they used to ski behind an old worn out 20 horsepower Mercury and riding on a boat paddle with a, a trot line, pulling them behind. I thought for sure I could ski behind a 35. I was contemplating, what are we going to do? I, we can't, can't seem to get up. Then I spotted an old boathouse on the lake. I said, I got in a boat, and I said, Heath, let's go over to that boathouse. I got out and I put the skis on the edge of some stranger's boathouse. And I'm sitting up there, and I get the rope, and I curl it around in the front of my feet. And the boat's right there, and I said, Heath, if, we, if you go, you get a head start, then I can jump off on this water, and we can time this, and I'll be already on the water, and we'll ski. So he puts off, you know, carefully. I'm like, no, Heath, hit it, Heath. Give it everything. Get a running start. <laughs> so he goes, whoa, and that rope's on curling, and guess what happened? I'm going to tell you later, but we got to get on with the message. 
I think some of you can already guess. But there's a history of hope rising that I want to talk about. Now, we could talk about all the way back from Adam and Eve, but I'm not going to go back that far. I'm just going to go back to the, uh, where the New Testament starts. Now, if you look in your Bible, and some of you may not know this, but the, the New Testament kind of thin. It ain't so intimidating. You might could read this. You know, there's, there's books in here you can read in one sitting. But the Old Testament is, is before Jesus, and the New Testament is once Jesus got here. But between Matthew and the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, there's like one, one page in my Bible. It might not even be a page in your Bible. So it seemed like it was just a short distance. But in reality, from the time of Malachi the prophet until Jesus was born, it was 400 years. That's a long time. And what, what was worse is that during that 400 years, God didn't speak through his prophets. Malachi was the last one to speak. And for 400 years, it was like quiet on the earth. No response from God. You ever been through a dry period in your life? Seems like you've been through that 400 years. You ain't heard from God in a long time. You can begin to lose hope if you don't stay built up. And that's what was happening to mankind. But then, Suddenly, God does these suddenlies. Suddenly, there's this big star shining over this little town called Bethlehem. And all the wise people, they said, saddle my camel. I can feel some hope rising. There's a star. Something's going on. God's moving. And so they headed out. And the angels come down and give a concert to some shepherds out in the field one day. They said, today a Savior is born, and they're singing songs and glorifying God, and, and hope is rising in them shepherds. Can you imagine? A Savior is born. Say, hope rising. See, God can bring that hope. He can remind you of that hope suddenly. Next thing you know, Jesus is born, and he grows up. Then our, we find our hope rising out of the Jordan, where he's baptized. And we see a dove descending, I mean, the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And he's filled with the Holy Spirit. It's game on. Jesus is ready to begin his ministry. That's when it really gets good. He goes about healing and delivering folks and raising people from the dead and feeding people. And it's just all around showing compassion. And all of a sudden, common people that didn't know about God at all, they're getting a glimpse and to how much God really loves them. Every day, folks. He wasn't just going to the rich and famous. He wasn't going down Hollywood. He was walking with the common man. And all who would gather. And the common people were getting a glimpse of God. Say, hope rising. Man, times like that, that your hope can be built up. You feel like Jesus is walking with you right there beside you. You can almost feel him. And man, I tell you, it was a, a big contrast in the day for those folks. 400 years without God, their, their religion had become man-centered. And that's what it had become, religious gains. Maybe many of you were drawn to God in the good times in your life. When things seemed to be going your way, you got married or you had a baby or you got this new job. It says it's the goodness of God that leads man to repentance, isn't it? And so maybe you felt the goodness of God in your life and you repented and gave your heart to Jesus. I hope you did. But you know what? You got to hold on to your hope that you first had. 
you got to remember the joy of your salvation. you got to rekindle that fire sometime because our natural mind, this flesh, and our circumstances, those three are working in concert to bring down your hope, to get you to forget what you were hopeful about in the first place. Little things like Jesus began to teach. You know, they were all happy when he, when he was feeding everybody with a little boy's sack lunch, and they was all getting their belly full. But, but then, then some of them didn't want to stick around for the teaching because they said, man, his preaching's kind of hard. He's actually requiring something of us. And see, that's where a lot of us lose our faith. We thought it was just about all the good times. Say amen or oh me. See, he was speaking spiritual principles. And they were listening with natural minds. And a lot of what he was saying was going right over their heads. And see, a lot of what the Bible says is going right over your head if you're not asking God for the Holy Spirit. If you're not, if you're not born again, it, the Word of God must be discerned with the, with, the God, with the Spirit of God in you. You must be born again to understand the Word of God. It's foolishness to the unbeliever. Some of you may be here today and say, I don't ever understand the Bible. That's why I ain't, I ain't all for that stuff. You got to be in or you ain't. Oh, uh, me. <laughs> so they hear him speaking with their natural minds. They don't understand it. You know, many people want Jesus to be Savior, but they don't care nothing about him being Lord. They, wanna, they think you can just get a ticket to heaven without any obedience, without any repentance. Or, I'm not sure how that works. <laughs> I don't think that's the case. Because it says, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And so, Lord means, you know, the boss. That's what it means. He do what he says. And uh, Philippians 3.10, the Apostle Paul says, that I may know him. See, that's the difference in that man-centered, dry old religion. Is this about a bunch of rules and regulations? It's about Old Testament stuff. But now we can have a real relationship with the living God. That I may know him. Apostle Paul's trying to say it's, it can be real to you. He, he can be your best friend. Not your mama's best friend, your aunt and your uncles. My, my great-granddaddy was a preacher. Well, that's good. But is he your Lord? Is he your friend? Do you have a relationship with him? That I may know him. And then it says, in the power of his resurrection. See, that's what we're after. And I don't blame you. I'm after it too. The same power that raised Christ from the dead, it says, now can dwell in your mortal bodies. I want that power. I want to be able to overcome every obstacle and every circumstance in my life. I want the fullness of God in me bodily. I want to be able to do great exploits. I want to reach my potential, my destiny in Christ. I want that power of His resurrection, the Holy Spirit in my life. But then if you go on, it says, and the fellowship of his sufferings. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. I don't like that suffering word. I don't like that suffering word. None of us want to suffer. But you know what? I've never seen Jesus more upset in the Bible, I don't think, than when Peter told him that Jesus, we're not letting you go to the cross. We're not going to let that happen to you. 
Jesus was so mad, he called Peter a Satan. He said, get behind me, Satan, because you're only thinking about the things of man. You're not thinking about the things of God. Nobody's going to stop me from getting on that cross and saving my people. He got mad at the mere thought of not dying in your place to, to give you a resurrection. And he was willing to suffer. And the Bible tells us the suffer. you're going to suffer whether you're following Christ or not. Let me just tell you on the front end. And you might as well be suffering for Christ. Because suffering for Christ produces faith in you. It builds you up so that you can reach your potential. Some of us are not ready to get to the next level that God wants us to, to bring us to yet. Well, I better get on. I'm just starting to preach already. Anyway, that natural mind, that flesh, and them circumstances begin to hit the disciples here. They have the Last Supper. And Jesus, they're thinking, he's our Messiah. We're fixing to go in and we're fixing to take this place. Jerusalem's fixing to be ours. And instead, at the Last Supper, Jesus puts a towel on, gets down on his knees with a bowl of water, and begins to wash their feet. And I can imagine what Judas is thinking. He's confused. This ain't what a Messiah does. He's supposed to rule with an iron scepter. He's supposed to come back and destroy his enemies. He didn't know that he is, but not yet. He came first as a suffering servant. And he showed the disciples how they're supposed to care for one another. But Judas, it didn't fit his expectations. So all his hope is drained out and he becomes a traitor. He gets up, he leaves, and goes sells out Jesus. Isn't that terrible? We all come to Jesus for what he can do for us. Don't feel bad about that. I did too. When you, when you don't know Christ, you're thinking, what can he do for me? That's an obvious question. And we're, as baby Christians, that's, we all as babies, you've got to have somebody do something for you. And so we all come to him for what he can do. But when later as we begin to mature... He begins to show us how to wash each other's feet, and he begins to ask us to do things for other people. Are you just going to quit on him? No. You're going to learn the joy of giving. He said it's more blessed to give than receive. You're just entering into the joy of the Lord. But some of us quit when we think we got to do something for others. It ain't about us all anymore. But that's all right. You can be resurrected again today, you know. I'm just throwing some things out there. <laughs> then they go to the garden. And Jesus prays till he bleeds. He gives everything he has. Praying to the Lord. And he comes back, and what are the disciples doing? Taking a nap. He says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You see, that flesh is working against us. It, it, I wrote this down, and it's on your sheet if you want to fill this one out. The Christian life must be lived out in prayer by the Spirit of God. If you want to stay hooked up to the things of God and not be a Christian yo-yo when you're in one day and out the next, if you want to stay firm in your faith, you're going to have to pray. It's that relationship part of it. 
You got to know him. That takes time to de develop trust because hard times and tribulation are coming, and to trust him through it, you got to know him. You got to have the Spirit of God because he never meant for us to go through this life, these weak little puny humans that we are. He made us in his image. He said in one spot, are y'all just going to act like mere humans? <laughs> when I've given you my spirit so that you can rise up with that power, that resurrection power? So Jesus is praying, and then here comes the soldiers, and here comes old Judas. He come back and goes and betrays the Lord with a kiss. Mm. Sorry, Jesus, but I just made 30 pieces of silver. I got to go. None of us would ever do that. None of us would fail to ask God for direction in our life and just head off to take a job because it was paying 30 pesos more than what we're making now. None of us would ever leave the path of God to chase after money. None of us would give the Lord a kiss, I love you, but I love money more. No. I mean, can you feel the hope draining out of this thing? I mean, first we were talking about Jesus doing miracles, and now it's like, it's a hush, holy silence in this place. Because we're talking about the natural mind, the flesh, and circumstances. And we all deal with all three. And so you can begin to get a picture of maybe where your life has been. You had hope, now you don't. Got it? Don't got it no more. That's just the way life can be. But I'm trying to get you to see the bigger picture. You can have hope again. The disciples, when the soldiers come, they all run for the shadows. No one's left standing with Christ. When we lose our hope, how quickly we can cave in to temptation. So you've got to have your hope. It's, it's, what you, it's your anchor. It keeps you steady in the things of God. You've got to fight for your hope. It's got to be rising in you. Of course, Jesus, he's given three trials, but he's not given any justice in any of the courtrooms. In John 19, 4, Pilate went outside again and said to the people, I'm going to bring him out to you now. Pilate's the judge. But understand clearly that I find him not guilty. And if you go back, you'll see that's the second time he's already declared the verdict. He's the judge. I don't know how many times you've been down to the Soto County courtroom, but when he goes, not guilty, I'm running out of there. It's over. But this is the second time he's already told the people, I find him not guilty. And then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns that they had put on him, the purple robe, and Pilate said, look, here's the man. And when they saw him, the leading priest and the temple guards began to shout, crucify him, crucify him. Take him away and crucify him yourself, Pilate said. I find him. Not guilty. It's the only way a, a just judge could find him. He had never sinned. But you know how it works. The enemies of Christ keep on pressing 
They keep on pressing. Justice doesn't stop them. They're going to keep on pressing until they just wear at the judge's nerves, until they just, the silent little, I mean the small little majority, small little minority, something, people, they just keep trying to subvert justice for Jesus. Maybe you've noticed that in society. And by this time, I can tell you, the disciples' hope has turned to hopelessness. Boy, I'm telling you, they are at, they're beside themselves. They're scattered. They're hiding. They're thinking, man, we put our trust in this guy. We, we thought we saw him raise Lazarus. I mean, we was there when he saw him walk on the water, but what? Why is he, not, why is he letting them take him? What, they didn't understand. See, there's a lot of things that you probably don't understand about Jesus. A lot of things you've probably been listening to that silent, or that loud minority, them people. You've been listening to them people tell you about Jesus, and you ain't found out for yourself the truth about who Jesus is. Mm, mm, mm. And maybe you've lost your hope. They sure had lost theirs. They'd seen their Savior in a bloody heap at a whipping post. Man. They see the priests, the ones that they think are supposed to be specialists on, on Jesus. They're shouting, crucify him. Man, maybe we picked the wrong guy. And as Jesus trudges up that dusty hill on the way to Calvary, it's a good chance that he's the only one in Jerusalem still holding out hope. And everybody else is just wagging their head. And they raise him up on that cross, like you said. It's not the hope rising that we were expecting, is it? The world goes dark. This God hangs in the balance between heaven and earth. Wow, just the thought of that day. When, by the time Jesus says it is finished, we're thinking, yeah, it sure is. He's probably the only one that knew what he really meant when he said it is finished. So when they rolled that stone in front of the tomb, and they sealed him off into that dark, dank, lonely place, we figured it was over. Think about that for a moment. God sealed dead in a tomb. I can't think of a more hopeless place. I know you've probably been some places where you thought, man, I've hit bottom, but you ain't hit bottom like God in a tomb, dead. Because it says in Colossians that Jesus created everything. Everything was created by him, for him, and through him we live and move and have our being. It's all about Jesus, and now he's dead and he's in a tomb locked away. It's over. Everybody thinks it's over. There's no hope in the world. Think about that. Turn to Luke 24, verse 1, as you think about that.
Luke 24. It says in verse 1, But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. And they found the stone had been rolled away from the entrance, so they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus, and they're thinking, what in the world's going to happen next? Now somebody's done stole his body. Could it get any worse? And as they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. And the women were terrified, and they bowed their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking from among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. You want to talk about a turnaround, God? From complete hopelessness to he's risen from the dead. The stone has been turned away. Say he is risen. Did you give up hope on him at one point in your life? Because of the circumstances, because of your flesh, because of your natural mind that you didn't understand? The power of God. See, the stone couldn't hold him in the tomb. The soldiers guarding the stone couldn't hold him in the tomb. There was nothing could stop his love for you. Death couldn't stop him. The grave couldn't hold him. And he just simply come up out of there and busted up the devil's little party. The devil will never have victory over God. Never. Maybe you came here today, I don't know, thinking that your fate was sealed, like that tomb. Thinking that I done made too many mistakes, I done lived too long in my life, I don't know Jesus. Man, I, I rejected Jesus. I once said that prayer, but I never lived it. I did this, I did that. I used to serve, I used to be a pastor, and now I, I fell from grace, I sinned, and I'm, we don't eat our dead. We don't kick you when you're down. That's not the real church of Jesus Christ. We keep giving you hope. We keep telling you that Jesus rose from the dead and you can rise from your dead. You're out of your ashes. He can make you beautiful again. You once had so much hope and the world talked you out of it. And now you feel like you've, you've given him a kiss and betrayed him. And you can't come home. No, he's the father. He's the father of the prodigal son looking out, waiting for you to come over the hill so he can run and put that robe back on you and kiss you and embrace you and put that signet ring on your fingers and, and, and put the shoes back on your feet so you can have purpose again. Kill the fatted calf and let's get back to the party. I know you just left the devil's party, but come on to a better one. He will never turn you away. Never. When his stone was rolled away, yours was too. Every time you think about Resurrection Sunday, every time you think about that tomb being empty, you think about your tomb being empty. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For God made Christ, who had never sinned, to be the offering for our sin. That's what he was doing on the cross when he said it is finished and nobody understood 
so that we could be made right with God through Christ. He overcome. He paid the penalty. If you look at 2 Corinthians 5, he's not holding our sin against us. Sin has been dealt with. It's been paid for. If you move back a couple of scriptures, it says this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. And the new life has begun. Maybe that's where you need to be today. You need to put that old life behind you and let the new life begin. Because I don't know where you've been in your life. You may have been somewhere for 60 years in the desert. I don't know where you've been, but I can tell you where you are right now. You're in the Passion Church sitting in a purple chair. And all your life and all the busyness and all the shadows and all the moving and things that you did all culminated to this time and this spot right here, right now, when you're in a purple chair and your stone is rolled away and all you got to do is come out of the darkness into the light. And this could be the first day of the rest of your life. That is the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He did it for you. And I don't care what it looks like. It doesn't matter what it looks like. It matters what it is. You can't stop a resurrection that God ordains. And he ordained for you to be resurrected. The only way you can stop it is if you just refuse to come out of the tomb. And who's going to sit there in the dark, dank tomb and see the stone roll away and the light out there and stay in the darkness? I think I would just come on out into the light. Just like Lazarus, come forth. Let's, let the church begin to help unwrap your stinking thinking. Take those grave clothes off and let's begin to live again. Your life ain't over with yet. You're still breathing. Your best days are still ahead. What am I saying? What is this whole message about? Your emotions may feel like you've been on the zip and pippin. Your faith may have crashed like the Hindenburg. I don't know. But faith and emotions, they're based on circumstances many times. They rise and fall. But our hope has already risen. It's a done deal. Jesus finished the work of redemption. And he's seated at the right hand of God, unmovable, unshakable, settled firm in the heavens. Say it's a done deal. It's already done. It's not if it's going to happen. It happened. It's a reality. Remember I said your hope is a confident expectation? Based on a promise of God? Now it's even more than that. It's a done deal. Hebrews 6.19 says... This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone in there for us. He's already tasted death for us. He's already sprinkled his own blood on the mercy seat so that we could obtain mercy and grace in our time of need. And now he sits at the right hand of God where he ever lives to make intercession for us. He's praying for you. And he sent his Holy Spirit to live in you, to lead and guide you in all truth. He's given you his word to show you this is who you're supposed to be. 
He's given you everything that you need that pertains to life and godliness, but you want to stay in the tomb? Don't you know the wages of sin is death? I got to stop preaching. So where was I at in my story? I, I, was on the, I was on the houseboat, and Heath had winded out, and that rope was, and you know what happened. I did a face plant. <laughs> Bad. And I thought I was going to sink to the bottom, and that would be the end of me. But for some reason, I was wearing this life preserver, and it rose me back to the top. <laughs> and I was sitting there bobbing like an old fishing cork, you know, when Heath got back. He, he flapped down my eyelids back down. He's <laughs> so he, he pulled me in the boat, and I get in the boat, you know, and, and we, I just said, take off down the lake. You know, I could barely talk. And we're driving down the lake, and I'm thinking to myself, my dad's a liar. He, didn't, he, just, he did not ski on a 20-horsepower on a boat paddle. And I just started getting mad about that, and I said, Heath, Hit it, Heath. Wind it out. He's like, what? I said, take off. Give it everything that's 35 horsepower going. He's so he, we're winding it out, going about 25 or 30 miles an hour down the lake. And he's like wondering what we're doing. And just out of nowhere, I just stood up and jumped out of the boat. <laughs> and I just looked like the $6 million man coming across the in the crash landing. And most of y'all don't know who's $6 million. I'll say it like this. I look like a, a rag doll thrown out of a low-flying crop duster. <laughs> well, he circles around, and he comes back. He said, did you mean to do that? I said, well, if we can't ski, at least we can experience the thrill of the fall. Help me in the boat. And so he reached down to help me in the boat. He said, dude, where's your trunks? I said, don't worry, they're in there. <laughs> you don't have to live for the thrill of the fall any longer. I got a better plan. Keep your shorts on, all right? When Jesus circles the boat to come back and get us all, hey, let's have hope rising to meet him. And know he's coming back for us. He's coming back. And when he says, dude, where's your hope? You say it's in there. That's all you got to do. And say, thank goodness for the life preserver. Jesus is that life preserver. He's what kept you from sinking all these years. <laughs> Man, how many times would I have been at the bottom of the lake if it weren't for Jesus? Rise me back and give me another breath of fresh air. Another start. And that's where you need to be today. Jesus told the woman at the well, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. And I don't care if you die, you're still going to live afterwards because of me. I am the resurrection and the life. I am. 
He is, he is the great I am. He is everything that you need him to be. And I don't know where you've had your hope before now, but you need to put it back on Jesus. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.